1: Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. Uh, it's a Cub podcast, and uh, we have uh, as our, our guest we. Why do I say we? I have as my guest. That's a royal we, I guess. I have as my guest, um, uh, my friend Tom Loxus of the of the Beers and Beat Guys podcast. Do you have anything else to plug? Is that your main outlet no. of your thoughts?
0: Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah.
1: Now. So a couple of weeks ago, you had a frequent guest, the guy who's been a guest on this more than any non-co-host, John Greenberg. Okay. And I joked, I'm like, did my name come up? I didn't really think that it would. And then I listened to it, and you guys talked about me more than you talked about uh, the Cubs, which I appreciated. I'm going to guess, I saw who your guest is on the most recent pod that you had released before we record this. I'm going to guess that my name did not come up with David Hough of the Chicago Tribune.
0: No, are you um I I wasn't sure what your uh status is with him.
1: Uh we don't Although
0: I, I assumed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that's, that's what my status is. Uh, I mean, I that's what I'm saying. That's so a, yeah. You guys talked bears? Or did you talk No, you no, talk we cubs?
0: we actually just yeah, we just talk Cubs. I'm only doing, you know, Cubs on this one, but um yeah, you know, I just wanted some, you know, big picture thoughts from him. Cuz I know he's not like grinding, you know, cubs daily so no he's, he's more like big picture stuff
1: he's getting screamed at by mike mulligan every morning yes that's what he's yeah.
0: doing i mean his life his, yeah his life for the next six months is just going to be over analyzing justin fields so
1: speaking of that um our th- this podcast has a bears podcast and uh, it's going to come back we're going to uh, i haven't even confirmed it yet we last the last couple of years i've done it with mike pusateri And we decided that one Mike P wasn't enough. So we added Mike Presnowski. So there's two Mike P's, which just to confuse me when I'm trying to, you know, direct questions to one or the other of them. Um, That'll come back in a couple of weeks. So we're excited about that. But we will not stop talking about the Cubs, the playoff bound, maybe Chicago Cubs. Um, So I'm trying to think where I want to start. there, the last couple of days in Detroit, one win, um, one loss, I think were both highlights of the, of what I think is the limitations this team, self-imposed limitations this team faces by having David Ross manage them. Um, just kind of the inability to think on his feet and make like a quick decision. And it was it was really bad. Actually, I don't really blame him that much for for what happened today. Except one one part of it, I will. But, um, so we're recording this on um, Wednesday. On Tuesday, the Cubs started Drew Smiley. And even every fan was like, oh God, this, this seems like a terrible idea. And he predictably was not good. But he was allowed to stay out there not being good and gave up seven runs in a game that they most likely win if they just pull him after he'd given up four, like we all thought they were going to pull him. Um, So I guess what are your thoughts on the uh, managerial aptitude of the former Dancing with the Stars runner-up?
0: Yeah, I know we've talked about this before. Like, I feel like it's, it's two different, you know, buckets for him. I feel like he is very challenged when it comes to, you know, managing the actual games and the day-to-day stuff and then you know greenberg and i actually talked about this too i asked him like how much of that do you think are his decisions and how much of that is coming from the front office because the lineup you know we've you know gone over it on a daily basis on twitter it just still i just don't get it i mean i know some people will come back and and just say like you know the lineup construction is not everything and you can look at a lot of different ways but you know, Ian Hap, No matter how you look yeah. at it, is not a three hitter to me. Candelario hitting in the seventh hole since we got him doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, yeah, his use of Patrick wisdom in certain situations is weird. Like ever. Yeah, all, all of it. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it, there's just a lot to pick at. You know, it, he I think he left you know Tyon in there a little too long today, but that's the kind of stuff that anybody you know we can critique. But yeah, like you said, I think it's his. Ability to think on his feet that drives me crazy um, or lack of. But as far as like the clubhouse culture, you know, you got to have you got to give him some credit there. It feels like it is a good clubhouse. It feels like the team does play very hard with a lot of energy. And I feel like that since they got Candelario, they're actually more, you know, there's more energy there. And I feel like they're playing with uh, with a purpose. I just yeah so it's kind of for me it's kind of like those are the two most important things I look at in a manager and sometimes you can forgive some of this you know strategy mishaps for you know the overall big picture but yeah when it comes down to it when they're actually in a pennant race or in the playoffs and he makes a big gaffe like that yeah Jed's going to Jed's going to be pissed and he's going to he's going to hold his feet to the fire I think at that point but yeah right now I I kind of like Forgive a lot of the idiocy because of the, um, you know, the way the team looks. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I get it, but I'm. To me, getting your players to play hard is like, um, like the bare minimum requirement mm-hmm. of a manager. That's what gets you immediately fired. Is when your players check out. Unless you're the White Sox and Pedro Garfoy, you get to you get to manage all year, even when your players don't give a shit. Um, I just feel like this is. You know, there's no sure thing they're going to make the playoffs. They should. They've got two paths to get there, um, but like I think I wrote today. Is, but it seems like he's intent on, on like steering them towards the ditch. And I, I, I think my big concern with him is that there will be there will come a time when they can steal a game that they're going to need with the right move. And I, just, I have no confidence that he make it. And we get all this stuff about, well, you know, he was a leader of men as a player. I mean, think about how what a great leader you have to be to be a third-string catcher and have guys respect you. I, I get it. He played for all these Hall of Fame managers. Well, it doesn't seem like he learned much from it. It doesn't seem like he was paying that much attention to the Hall of Fame managers that he that he played for. And I say that, and today when, you know, James Tyent's throwing a no-hitter and then all of a sudden it's just hit, hit, hit. And, um, they can't get him out before he gives up the grand slam. Um, to me, the big my issue with it wasn't letting him pitch to the immortal Kerry Carpenter. It was um, you get to that three one get to the three one pitch, and the first thing you think is, and I think JD actually said it is, if you have to if you walk this guy, it's not the end of the world, right? Like this is the threat in their lineup, and if They get one run you know you can still come out of this with the lead and then the but it's a typical three one well here's a fastball see how far you can hit it and it turns out he can hit it kind of far um but it's not the first time we've seen the cubs do that like they played the mets where the only guy in the lineup that could really do any damage was pete Alonso, and he just he just torched them for an entire series But the White Sox were really the only guy in that lineup that could hurt them was Luis Robert, and he hits a game-winning home run. And it's like, how seriously, you can't figure out how to pitch around when a team only has one guy. You can't figure out how to have that guy not kill you. I mean, you harken back to, like, the the best example the Cubs, I think, ever have of it is the series with the Nats where Joe was just like, Bryce Harper will not beat us. He won't. And he walked him, like, I don't I forget what it was like, like literally like eight times in a series, and it pissed poor Bryce off. But tough shit, the Cubs swept. At, at some point, you're gonna have to, you know, make an out of the box decision and telling your pitcher, it's I know it's three one and the bases are loaded, but you can't give this guy a strike. You're gonna have to try to make him chase. And I I don't know that, I don't know that he thinks fast enough to do that, which is and. I mean, I, I I joke, but he's got to be on that leaderboard that he's you know, one of the all-time leaders in baseball and concussions. And we've got him, and we've, we've trusted the team to him. So I don't quite get that.
0: No, and I agree with a whole lot of what you said, believe me. I just, um, he drives me insane, and I don't trust him to make the right move in a big game. That's, the only thing I was saying was that, like, I feel like, yeah, the playing hard thing might be not exactly what I'm saying, but I do feel like they they play with energy, and and I feel like the clubhouse looks like they all like each other. They all get along. And it could just be if uh, you know the fact that they have a lot of good guys in the clubhouse too. Yeah, so I'm not trying to give was them too, much, too much too much credit. Right? I mean, right. they literally sure, tried sure. to
1: handpick guys who had those traits, and they did a, they did a good job mm-hmm. in some, and they had some other glorified coaches that they've had to slowly get rid of, like. Hosmer and Mancini and Tucker I mean those guys right. were there as much for you know, well it's Oof. and it just cracked me up that this guy that they, they couldn't get rid of Joe fast enough to bring in uh Ross who was going to be a much better leader supposedly and this disciplinarian and then it turns out they have to stack his team full of guys who will do that for him yeah uh, so I never right quite, I mean, you know I, I never quite understood that
0: yeah no I I get that too I think that's yeah, but at that aside, I just—I was gonna say—I'll give him credit there because it's still his clubhouse and it—it it looks solid. It—it it yeah. does seem from afar that they—they they right. respect him. Okay, so I'll just speculate that they do. Yeah. But so I,
1: in the newsletter today, i, I linked to a, um, Jed was on. <laughs> although for the first eight hours the podcast was up, it was Jen Hoyer, <laughs> and it's funny. I looked at it in my feed and I thought, "Who's Jen Hoyer? I wonder if she's any relation <laughs> to Jed." <laughs> what was this? Oh, it was just a typo. He was on the Starkville podcast oh. with Jason Stark and Doug Glanville, and they had, t- they had yeah, a typo, okay. and it was Jen Hoyer. <laughs> cool. Uh, but so I, did, I listened to it. Once I realized it was Jed, I listened to it. And um, <laughs> I wrote a thing today, and I um, I think people think I hate Jed just because I criticize Jed. It's like he's in the position where you, this this, this he's, the, yeah. he's the glorified GM. Of course you're going to criticize him. Um, to me, I think Jed is not, he's, uh, he's a less talented, but maybe more normal version of Theo. Um, hmm. You know, like he's, Theo was very polished. He was very, you know, he's good with the media when he wanted to talk to the media, but it's weird. It Theo was really an introvert. Like, he didn't like doing that. He didn't, he felt like he had to talk to the media. He didn't really want to do it because he wasn't mm-hmm. comfortable, but he was good at it. He was like anything else. If he was going to do it, he was going to be good at it. And he was. Jed, I think, is just kind of a more personable... Like, he just likes to talk. And when he was the deputy, nobody ever wanted to talk to him. <laughs> he would, they'd have oh, press yeah. conferences where they'd introduce a player, and it, the joke was at the end of the press conference. Any questions for Jed? No. And then they'd all leave. But anyway, uh, so Jed was on. And Jed, he's a good interview in, in instances like that. And he told some funny stories. And But one of the things he talked about was... And I, I agree with this. And it was... Uh, Jason actually had the stats. The Cubs started 11 and 6, and then lost 20 of their next 35 games. No, 20 of their next 50 games. Right? How many? They were fit, they played 15 games under. God damn, I can't do math. Okay. And they got out of it. And Jed said it was just really impressive to see that even when they were playing poorly, the players thought it was they were a good team that just wasn't playing well, not a bad team. And I you know, I will begrudgingly give Rossi some credit for that i guess i just like a guy who can do that and um can tell his ass from a hole in the ground when you need to make you know, a big decision late in the game because it's inevitable it's going to happen and um you know i talked about it with john yeah. i know you talked about it with john at some point the grady little moment is going to come mm-hmm. and or the rick renneria moment whichever example that john was given at the time and yeah. if you make the right decision you're fine and if you don't you're out. And uh, the point I, th- I had made with you, and I think I talked with John about it, too, is that I, I made the point that Jed has never hired a manager. He didn't hire one in San Diego, and he didn't hire Ross. And I know John was like, well, yeah, but he had say. What I was saying is, if I'm Jed, and I ever think that I my ass is on the line, I you are not firing me before I get a chance to pick a manager. That was my thing. In other words, to me, the only time Ross really gets in trouble is if jed thinks he's starting to feel some heat and then he's like you are not firing me well i've never got to pick a manager i'm gonna pick somebody even if all i do is like uh hey andy green do you want to be the manager i'm gonna do it that was that was what i thought
0: no and i got that but i do feel like the it's a little murkier with this one because like john was saying that you know Jed was all in on Ross, and it was like their guy. Yeah, I mean they and they I, I don't ti- think I don't think Ricketts would buy that. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: they got tired of Joe, and I can kind of understand that because I think Joe's a bit much. I love him, yeah, but I think after five years, you are probably like, um, can you just get it in the Winnebago and go?
0: Yeah, the circus um, was over,
1: but they they just thought they had this guy who was just going to be the greatest thing, and. Yeah, I haven't seen any evidence of that
0: yet. No. But. No, and what you've described is, you know, the full package of being, you know, like top-tier managers. So, you know, like a guy like Terry Francona, where, he, you know, he commands the clubhouse and still knows how to, you know, fucking manage a game. So those those guys are hard to find. You know, we saw Dusty. Dusty always had, you know, the clubhouse in pretty good shape up until, you know, 04. Yeah. Um, everybody always wanted to play for him, and they still do, but I just, yeah, I still can't forgive him for the way he managed, you know, the 3 NLCS. See, but that, the... Um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say... No, I no. think
1: one of, the, one of the... I'm not going to compare Dusty and Ross. It's funny, because they hate each other, which is great. And one of the things I hmm. like about David Ross was he played for Dusty in Cincinnati, and those two hate each other. Um, Was there were always these Dusty guys that when you got Dusty, you had to go get... He had him with the yeah. he had him with the Giants. That's where you got to start. Then you know he have to get Ramon Martinez, and yeah. you know have these guys. And then you go to Cincinnati and you got to find a few of those Dusty guys. For that very reason, he needed guys in the clubhouse that he could trust. Not uh, Dusty doesn't strike me as a guy who needs spies in the clubhouse. What he wants is like advocates. He wants guys who, when somebody starts bitching, can be like, you know what, buddy, you know he knows what he's doing you're going to play. You might not play today. You're going to, you know, you every manager needs that. Yeah. Dusty like had guys that it was very clear that when you got, when you got dusty, there was some mediocre utility players that you were going to have to pick up and he was going to play them. That was the worst part <laughs> that they were going to get it back. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things Jed talked about was, uh, they, they talked a lot about the trade deadline and when he made up his mind and, um, Mm-hmm. You know, he basically said they I believe the Cubs were ten games under five hundred on like July seventeenth or something. They're gonna be if they make the playoffs, the only team in baseball history that will make the playoffs being ten games under later than that was the last year's Mariners. That makes sense. Now there's more teams, there's a better chance of a team um being that bad that late. <clears throat> um and Jed was basically said if the trade deadline had been that day, they would he obviously would have sold because they weren't that didn't look anything like a playoff team they just weren't going to do it and obviously the team kept winning and then he for a while they were operating on parallel tracks where they were talking to teams about trading bell he was basically he just talked about they were talking to teams about bellinger they were talking to teams about Strowman. and at the same time they were scouting teams they were scouting players that if they got back into it that they might acquire um but he said one of, the, one of the interesting things about this was that was about the time Dansby was on the disabled list with his bad heel, and the Cubs were on the road, and Dansby was rehabbing at Wrigley and was bored and was, like, hanging out with the baseball operations guys, basically acting like an assistant general manager, asking a bunch of questions. And one of the things Dansby asked Jed was, why do we ever rebuild? Why do you need to rebuild in Chicago? You have resources. You should be able to build a farm system without bottoming out. You should be able to get a tract free agents like me without bottoming out. I don't understand why unless you're like 40 games out you would ever consider uh, rebuilding. Why would you tear it down a year after year for this incremental improvement in your farm system? And Jed didn't have a good answer.
0: (laughs) I kind (laughs) of wonder I'm not not, Jed said this on a podcast.
1: Yeah. He said Dan's guy who played for the played for the Braves. Could, it's like I don't get it. Why aren't we just? Why don't you just try to win yeah. every year? And yeah. you know the so here, the, what it did was it made in my mind goes weird ways. So what I thought of when it, when you're talking about that was immediately think of the Cardinals, right? Like here's this team mm-hmm. that never has to like bottom out. Like they'll have a bad year, like this year they're having a bad year, um, mm-hmm. but they didn't they didn't get rid of everybody and try to start over. They just expect that they'll figure it out and they'll contend again next year. But I think the Cardinals missed a golden or black. Or there's a pun coming. A golden opportunity at this trade deadline, mm-hmm. and I, I could honestly. I started to think about. It, I thought, oh my god, we could have looked back at this year as oh shit, um, because the 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 best the best position player traded at the deadline was Jamer, which you know he's a nice player, and I'm glad the Cubs have him. But I mean, come on, that's mm-hmm. not the impact bat that people were looking for. It was going to be Bellinger. And when all of a sudden the Cubs are like, no, nah, we're going to keep him because we think we're going to the playoffs. The Cardinals should have stepped up and basically said, look, we know we need to rebuild our pitching. Like, they just don't have enough pitchers, which is funny. because Mostly because they, they, last year's Cy Young Award winner, they traded away. And it looks like this year's Cy Young Award winner, if Gallon wins it, they traded away too. But you would have thought they would have looked at it and said, all right, we don't need a 37-year-old first baseman like he we could we could basically with with bellinger off the market and nobody else coming on Shohei's not getting traded cody's not getting traded we could basically hold an auction for goldschmidt and then in one fell swoop we can like rebuild our pitching staff and then we can turn um first base over to the uh you know the world's oldest rookie um what's his name walker why am walker. i blanking George, on his first walker, jordan yeah. walker. Yeah, and, and I, we could have looked back and said, "God, remember when the Cubs decided not to trade Cody that year, that they made the playoffs and got bounced on the first weekend, and the Cardinals instead loaded up and they've got a, they've got these like three pitchers now that we're gonna have to face?" They didn't do it. They just you know they kind of tinkered around and traded their bad and hurt guys, and they didn't do it. And I thought, "Oh, I'm glad they didn't do that." It doesn't. It didn't make any sense to me that the Cardinals wouldn't trade Goldschmidt or Arenado. But you hear crap down there about, oh, no, no, we want those guys to retire as Cardinals so they can wear the red jacket and come to the same. What the fuck? I mean, I thought the idea was, (laughs) you know, okay this guy used to be really, really good. He's still pretty good, but that's not good enough. But I guess that's that's not it. So maybe instead of the Cubs having to become more like the Cardinals, the Cardinals are just becoming more like the Cubs. (laughs) And that'll be the Cubs advantage. They're just making poor decisions down there now.
0: Yeah, I mean I do I have to say though I am jealous of the fact that they never have, you know, gone into rebuild mode. Like regardless of what Theo and Jed did when they first got here, they had to do that. But yeah, we you could make the argument they didn't have to bottom out as much as they did this time because, you know, it's I feel like we've we've gone over this way too many times. Yeah. But they waited too long to trade some of those guys. They could have Made smart trades during the contention window that would have made them younger and still contended. Yeah, so, I yeah, think they, I don't even want to get into that again. But.
1: They they were blind to their own to the limitations of some of their players. Mm-hmm. They just they didn't want to accept the fact that you know because a really good organization realizes at first like you have you should have that advantage. You see them every day. You see everything they do every day, and you're like, you know what. He, maybe this guy is not, maybe he's just good and not great. And maybe we should look to move. And they didn't. And, you know, that's how they, they got. Um, but it all worked out now. All the positions are, you know, what, Anthony Rizzo left, but um, the Cubs have uh, nobody at first base. Um, Chris Bryant left. They have nobody at third base. But otherwise, everything, everything worked out fine. Um, so there was a move last night, which was basically inconsequential, but to me, it um, it showed like the biggest. Um, well, it's my biggest pet peeve about Marquis, and there's a lot. I have a long list of them, and that was I guess it was the seventh inning. I thought it was the eighth, but I guess it was the seventh inning. Talkman's spot comes around. There's a lefty in for the Tigers, and Ian or and out uh, Ross pinch hits Nick Madrigal for Mike Talkman. And to me, it's like, oh, this, is, this will be good, like fodder for Jim and Boog to talk about, okay, why are we doing, why are you making this move? Why are you doing whatever? And they didn't, they barely mentioned that it happened. And to me, it's like for two things. A, they get too caught up. They were doing their stupid. They were talking about Justin Bieber and Sayas' obvious shirt and just all this shit that we just get so tired of listening to. But the other thing was, it's almost like they just avoid it because they don't have to potentially criticize the manager. Mm. Um, because in my mind, we, by making that move, then it, it necessitated a bunch of other moves that you know it's aren't that drastic. But Talkman's out, Madrigal's in, Cody's going to um, Cody's going to center. Jamie's moving across to first base. When two batters later in that same inning, you had a guy coming up who's going to have to bat right-handed, who if you look at the stats is a much less productive hitter against lefties than Mike Talkman. It's Ian Happ. Like that might have been. It would be a really interesting conversation for the announcers of the Cubs to talk about. But they would never do this because you know. But it would be maybe Nick Madrigal should be pinch hitting for Ian Happ, not for Mike Talkman. But I guess my point is, we Ross. I think for the for the casual fan, most of his moves don't get any scrutiny on the game broadcast. They're just things that happen. Hmm, yeah, It's not like, why did he do this? I wonder if he should, have, maybe he should have done this instead. You don't have to like be a dick about it and go, oh, that's the dumbest move ever. But they don't really even analyze it. It's just kind of like, hey, if it works, that's a great move. If it didn't, oh, just tough luck. Every time. And so there was a um, <clears throat> Bleacher Nation today. Brad had a th- tweet. I don't know. He, somebody pissed in his cornflakes this morning. He had, <laughs> and he was, basically his tweet was, um, I'm paraphrasing here. <laughs> why? Why do you? Why do some of you sick fucks? <laughs> I just have to complain <laughs> about everything with the Cubs. And I said it in much nicer, nicer terms than that. And then Sarami. Said yeah, I was wondering.
0: About, I was wondering why he just, he just didn't ask you. You know, I thought he right. was gonna. I just ignored it. because
1: what I wanted to say was, <laughs> you know, um, do you have to? Why do you have to have the fucking pom poms out? for everything that happens like there is a happy medium there are things in the game that make you really excited and happy and other things you're like why the hell would you do that um but sarami said something about which i just thought was wrong and he's like oh yeah i've noticed that since the cubs are winning and the normie fans are back and things are getting more toxic my my take on that would be the normie fans whatever that is aren't very critical they should be diluting the critical people right because they're just like, oh, here, the Cubs are winning. This is fun. They're not out there all of a sudden hammering David Ross and Ian Happ. And all this, so that's my job. Um, but so here's a, here's a Galaxy Brain take by me. As I got to thinking about what he was basically saying, um, I think that the I think the problem with there are a lot of fans who are really excited that the Cubs are um, relatively successful again. That you know, their games are important. Wrigley's fun again because there's big moments. You know, that's all that stuff's great. That's what we watch. But <clears throat> I think it's inevitable. You're not going to have the same kind of engagement. We just had a. It seems like a million years ago, but seven years ago, we we watched a World Series team. We know what that looks like. We know this isn't that. Like this is much better than what we had been seeing. But nobody mm-hmm. is fooling themselves that they've built this great juggernaut. But I think that part of the problem with the engagement with this current team is marquee. There, so much of it is either bad or boring. Like the the pregame show is there's nothing there. The postgame yeah. show there's a, I I always joke about it, but I do it as soon as the game's over. I change the channel. I don't want to watch that yeah. postgame, even if it's and it sucks. Like you have the, like a huge moment, Christopher Morrell. You know, with the walk-off homer, and he goes crazy, and you watch the replay a million times, and then as soon as they go to Cole and whoever, it's like I don't need to watch this. What else is on? That has to hurt the like the fan engagement, right? And then the the game broadcasts are, and I know that we, the, those of us who watch all the time, just nitpick them, but you can't tell me that they're not getting worse. And the the overall quality of the the way that most of us take in the games. You know, you can only go to so many games and radio that they do a fine job, except for the fifth inning on radio. Um, Hmm. But that's radio's never been less important for a baseball team because there's so many ways you can, you can just, you know, it used to be that if you were out of your house, the only way you could follow your baseball team was on the radio. Well, now you on your phone. You can still watch the game if you want. You don't, you don't necessarily have to listen to it. And I, I feel like the, it's a, Marquis is such a huge missed opportunity. And until they get rid of the two clowns that they brought in to run it, who have no clue what Cub fans actually want, I think I think they're going to continue to miss on a big segment of Cub fans who would are really looking... Maybe they don't even know exactly what they're looking for, but they know it's not this. They're looking for a way to engage with the team more and, and learn more about the team and watch and, you know, and they watch the stuff on Marquee, and after a few minutes, I was like, "Well, I don't, this isn't what I want." And i maybe I'm yeah maybe I'm just full of shit, but I, I mean, I know that's my experience with. It. Like if no, you, and I,
0: I know you've been more critical of Boog lately, and I feel like I think Boog is, is pretty you know pretty damn good, and I know I I know that he is at, at times because I used to really enjoy him, you know when he used to do the national games, but the whole broadcast in itself is like very a lot of fluff. Yeah. You know, and I know that comes I know that comes from uh is it McCarthy? Um yeah, it's the two is he from like yeah the the yes Mike you know network and thing Mike is, like, yeah. That's like their vibe though, right? That's what they're known for is just like this, you know They came in and their stuff, whole thing was gonna yeah. be they were gonna do national like a national broadcast. Yeah.
1: And fans don't want that. And no. the fact that they we- that they didn't couldn't figure that out, and that what is this now? This is the fourth season, right, of Marquee. That four years in, they still haven't figured it out. It's, I mean, they're it's, they're a lost cause at this point. Until leadership change is there nothing's going to change that's going to make that better. And I think hmm. my problem with Boog is probably I'm going to be charitable here because I always liked him too. He, he calls he can call a good game. Yeah, I think the tone that they set for that broadcast brings out the the, the least interesting parts of him. Like how many fucking times do we have to hear him tell the same two Mike Talkman stories? Well, you know, Mike yeah. Talkman told me he's not trying to take pictures; he's just trying to not swing at balls. I know you think that's profound; it's not. And then the one that cracks me up is the one he was talking about how he said, "Well, I realized I could that I was you know more advanced than other people was when I was at Bradley and I was sitting on the bench next to a teammate, and I was talking about how I could you know well." You can tell the difference between his, his change up and his curveball. The guy's like, You can read spin. I can't read spin and I thought well, that just shows that Bradley has bad players. That's what that that's what that <laughs> that's what that anecdote tells. I don't need to yeah, hear that's the pretty story fair. I don't need to hear the story about Julian Merriweather's nickname every time it comes out. I also don't need you and whoever the analyst du jour is to sit there and fake that you can't understand why the blue jays would give up on a guy who walked more batters than innings pitched for the whole time he was in Toronto and was hurt half the time. You know, there comes a time when a team has to cut bait on a guy and credit the Cubs for getting a lot out of him. But it's like, okay, you've made that point. And here's where this, this is what this reminds me of. This is bad for Boog. The other Cub announcer who used to repeat stories over and over again, like we'd never heard him, was Chip. Chip did the same thing. Mm. Like, and he, Especially if the Cubs were on, you know, they were on Fox Sports, Chicago, and GN. And they would be on back-to-back days. And he would act like there was two completely unique audiences. And he can just bring out the same crap for game two. And it's like, buddy, 80% of your audience heard this yesterday. <laughs> I just think with Boog, it's, it's the vibe that he's to, been told to give. And, you know, we talk about oh, yeah. trying to shoehorn Taylor in all the time. It's like, just just if it's not if it's not a natural part of what's going on in the game stop it because now you're to the point <clears throat> you know they had the luxury basically the first 3 years of <coughs> there weren't other than the pandemic year which was just a weird thing there weren't any like you get late in the season there weren't any big moments so you could just do your you know half-assed chat show broadcast well the games are important now and you at some point you have to shift into this is a big game and this there's big strategy here, and we're gonna talk about it instead of talking about shoes or whatever the hell else it is. I just I don't I don't get it. And it, you just watch the games, and you're like, all right, I guess we gotta put up with this shit again. And yeah, I is guess there,
0: is there anything is there anything to like that's part of why Len left? From, I never thought about that. Before. From
1: what I understand, Len felt like the the mics didn't didn't appreciate him and not in a I don't like Len and basically a I think he felt like they viewed him as a very unimportant part of the broadcast and I think his concern was I'm I'm going to be the one that decides when I go and if an yeah. opportunity comes up I'm going to take it and he took it we joke about he didn't like to have to wear the shirt and tie which was stupid but that's not why he quit um I think JD felt had the same feeling I think he felt like like they just looked at the at the game broadcasters like just two cast members in a play, and they could be replaced at any point, and it really wouldn't change the show. Mm. And I actually think that Len leaving might have made them be like, oh shit, you know, people are mad. Maybe we should try to keep Jim. And I don't know how much of this is Jim basically saying like, I don't want to work this many games anymore. Or how much of it was yeah. them being like, no, we, we need to like work in other analysts, but you know, he's gone a lot, and we miss him because he's clearly by far the best one I have.
0: Yeah, although I do have to say, I think I've told you this before. I do enjoy Sutcliffe only because he injects a little bit of that, you know, that realism. You know, that we grew up with. You know, like just like you don't know what they're gonna say next, kind of thing. Like yeah, whether we well, be Harry or yeah, or you know, Lou Boudreau. <laughs> like there's just there's just something there where he just doesn't you know he doesn't give a shit. Like he'll just say what he's thinking and. I kind of miss some of that old school, you know, broadcast rather than being all like fluffy and, and polished, you know? So I think that's, you know, it, it, yeah. A lot of the Cub audience does not really appreciate a lot of these, you know, you know, yuck it up moments. Yeah. Haha. The Justin Bieber t-shirt. I don't, come on. We're, I don't need that shit. I really, you know, it's like, no,
1: and it wasn't even that was every once two. in a while. Yeah. But, but even that was day two of the Justin Bieber talk. It's like you, I know. you talked it's about just, this they, yesterday they and it wasn't and interesting. Ground. Why is it back?
0: Yeah,
1: um, my problem with Sutcliffe is everything's great. And you oh, move for sure. To the point sure, where you're like, sure. oh come yeah. on, Rick, I'm, this guy is not. The, except for Ilmaro Vargas, <laughs> the one guy he hated. He hated <laughs> Ilmaro Vargas. That was really entertaining last year. There was that one whole series that they hit San Diego where he's everything yeah. was Ilmaro Vargas' fault. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean it's kind of like it's like okay Rick here's the thing if everything's great then nothing is great. You know you have to there's no context to anything. I was talking right, about this guy right. he's going to hit four homers today. No he's not. And yes we know your grandson's name is Ryder and he's probably at the game today. We don't need to hear six Ryder stories either. I just I just I don't. Um So another another topic And this was your fault that I even knew that it happened was, um, and they're not the only ones who talked about it. But Bleacher Nation wrote a thing, I guess, yesterday, Tuesday, or maybe it's Monday. I've lost all track of time. Um, People are starting to talk about. So now it's like, okay, the Cubs, obviously, they need to re-sign Cody Bellinger. Like, I think we all realize that. Like, he's got them over a barrel, because he's a really good player, and they really, if he leaves, then there's big problems with this lineup. But they're also a big market team who has uh, given the, made their intentions known through the usual suspects, Bruce Levine, that they're going to make a serious offer for Shohei. And uh, there were a couple of things. There was First, there was this weird article that they wrote where it was like, uh, they should go after him, and I think they could probably get him, but they might not be able to get him. And maybe they could get him, and then they, but then they could go after Cody. But what if the timing for Cody gets messed up by going after Shohei and that And he read it, and you're like, I don't know what I just read. <laughs> but the thing that cracked me up today was this whole thing about, I hope I hope they get the timing right because they're going to make a big offer for Shohei, and then what if Cody signs while they're still talking to Shohei? And I just, it made me laugh out loud because I'm like, do you – if we don't have 30 years of Scott Boris' track record to know how this is going to work. Like, his entire game plan for Cody oh, Bellinger yeah. is this. At the beginning of free agency, everybody's going to throw huge offers at Shohei, and only one team is going to get him. And you're going to have, like, these other four or five teams who made these huge offers to Shohei who now have nothing to show for it, and there's Scott Boris going, like, I know you offered this much to Shohei. Oh, how about 80% of that offer for Cody Bellinger? What a bargain. It's like, of course he's going to do that. That's like the biggest guarantee. Yeah. Cody's going to be one of the last players to sign because that's how Boris rings the most amount of money um, out of free agency for his best one or two players every offseason. We've seen it time and time again and it just cracked me up that they were like oh the cubs are going There's going to be this delicate calculus they're going to have to thread the needle <laughs> it's like <laughs> that needle is going to be the size of iowa you could just you know you, you everybody's going to be able to get through that needle cuz boris is going to make sure that uh, anybody who wants to make an offer on cody bellinger has plenty of time to make an offer on cody bellinger
0: yeah, I mean, I got a lot to say about this. First of all, Shohei's probably got to be the first domino to fall in free agency because otherwise, everyone's going to be waiting. Yeah. All their plans are going to decide whether they get this guy or not because he's he's a he's a you know, starting pitcher. He's a top ten starting pitcher and one of the top you know hitters in baseball. So you could you know fill a lot of needs if you get him. Um, but as far as yeah, and as far as the article goes, I was relieved though, and I shared that with you that. The position overlap would not be an issue if they wanted to sign them both that that made me you know have a sigh of relief because i was like well that settles that because yep. um yeah i was worried about that for a minute but the the thing with cody and i'm just going to throw this out there because i know it's not going to happen but and i kind of asked david haw not about this particularly but i did i did say look you know, Shohei obviously is. I still think he's going to go to the West Coast. So, do the Cubs still keep in you know Boris's ear that Bellinger's their number one target, and and hope that Bellinger you know kind of drives you know drives the you know drives himself to where he wants to go? But you know, it's all going to be about the last dollar. But the bottom line is, I was going to say, I was just going to say like they need to stay focused on Bellinger because they can't afford to lose them both. And my biggest fear is what you said. There's going to be some team that's going to be holding on to five hundred million dollars that didn't get their guy. That's yep. going to turn around and be like, "Well, fuck it, let's just give three hundred to Cody." Yep, that's exa- and, and that's, that's that's where I draw the line.
1: Yeah, and that's Bor. That'll be Boris's strategy. Now it will be yeah. but here's, but the other the misnomer about Boris is always that people, and I think in Chicago it's because Jerry Reinsdorf successfully made him the boogeyman for everything. Right, like the White Sox literally wouldn't mm-hmm. negotiate with him for players, and it was, you know. He, he, he. It's like, okay, well, he. you realize that the players work for him, right? And his job is to go out and solicit offers and give them advice. But at the end of the day, the player picks where they go. And I think the Cubs, unfortunately, <laughs> are going to rely on the feeling that they're going to make a good offer for Cody, but it's probably going to get topped by somebody. But Cody's going to decide that it's a lot of money either way, and he's comfortable in Chicago, and he wants to stay. And I think there are people out there who think, well, Boris won't let him do that, and that's the part I laugh at because Scott's not standing there going, "You can't do that." You know, that's not his right. job. His job is. I would advise you. I think this is a better deal, but here's your. You're making a decision between these two things. He doesn't make the players' mind up for them. Um, and I know Bruce um, made some headlines for something. I think he reported accurately, but people didn't want to parse the, what he wrote. It's very hard the way he communicates. I mean. <laughs> when he said that Cody's not going to sign an extension with the Cubs. yeah, He meant that exactly the way he wrote it, which is he's going to be a free agent. He's not going to sign before free agency, which is what an extension is. That doesn't. Right. It, but some people took it to mean, oh, God, he's not going to come back. That's not what Bruce was reporting. Bruce was basically reporting that if there ever was a chance, I don't think there was, there's no chance anymore. It's, he's yeah. not going to be like, okay, I like it here with the Cubs. I'm going to sign this extension, and I'm not even going to bother with free agency. Like, he's going to free agency, and that's that's all. Um, that's all Bruce was reporting. But there were yeah. a bunch of people who were like, "Oh God, he's already gone." It's like, well, no, that's that's not that's not what he meant.
0: Yeah, and I think Nightingale even said that recently too. And yeah, that obviously it's not going to happen. Oh, right. Maybe it was um, Bob
1: and not Bruce. It was one of one of yeah. our, one of my. Okay. Pats. Well,
0: maybe. Yeah. Well, the thing about Bellinger though is, he's probably you know even if he does love it here, you know if it comes down to like a substantial amount of money yeah. difference, I mean, come on, no, he's not going to walk away from that just because he loves being on the Cubs. Yep. I mean, he can learn. But to love, he can uh, learn I, to
1: love it other places if if the
0: money's right. What I did say to Haw is they they can't come away without a big bat in that lineup. You no. know, if you, if they're not going to get Shohei and they're not going to resign Bellinger, they're kind of back to square one in terms of finding a star in the middle of the lineup. Because yep. there's no other player on this lineup that can carry it.
1: I mean you could argue they would they would be in worse position next year than they were going into yeah. this year. Because they yes. thought Hap was going to be more productive than he is. And I mean uh. and so you'd look at it and like, okay, well we, we, we can hang our hat on Seiya and Hap. And you look at those two guys and you're like, I don't you can't hang it you can't hang anything on either one of them And no, although, there's nothing you can do about it. They have the, the both of them have, have no trace for the next three years. So they're your yeah. right and your left fielder for the next three years after this one. So you've got to be able to find that bat at either first, third, or center, basically. Yeah. And you've got one guy who can play both spots. And he's good. And maybe you just ought to keep that guy.
0: Well, I don't want to, I don't want to think about that, but cuz I mean, I don't think Bellinger is all that replaceable for the Cubs because he does so many things well for them, but they might have to put together a package to go get like a Pete Alonso and then use the use the free agent money on a pitcher. Because I think in this in in the scenario where they keep Bellinger, then I think they trade for a pitcher rather than spend big money in yeah. in, in free agency. Yeah. Cuz they've got the prospects great. now.
1: At some point, that 40-man roster crunch you got to you got to move some of them. Oh. can't keep them all.
0: Keeps that, that keeps me up at night. <laughs>
1: the the forty man roster. I, is I such always, a thing that the Cubs currently have thirty seven guys on their forty man roster.
0: <laughs> I I yeah I was th- I'm very thankful of all the people on Twitter that can keep track of that stuff because I just don't have time for that. But at the same time, I I love being you know, on top of that. We yeah. just go. But to yeah, that, no, there's there's just go to that yeah.
1: Arizona Phil page and he, you can. Yeah. You can see who needs to be added and who doesn't have to be added and who's on it and what happens if you let them go and you know that he, he keeps track of that for us. We can just be you know, smart asses and do whatever we want. But it's always yeah, funny. Been, Last yeah, year I this whole thing about, thing about, "Oh my god, what what if they lose this guy?" And one of the guys that they they released to open a spot on the 40 man and then brought back is Mark Leiter Jr. <laughs> the entire league looked at him wow. and went, "No, we don't need that." And he's been Wow, yeah. he's been fair. They'd be screwed without him,
0: dude. He's like, I mean, he's like a legitimate left-handed reliever specialist. That's not left-handed. Yeah, yeah. he's re- he's really good. I don't know how he does it. I watch him, I'm just like this is gonna fall apart one day, really soon. But it just doesn't happen. No. he's been really good.
1: I mean, I don't. He to me, he's one of those guys who the likelihood that he's as good next year again as he was this year is nil. Cuz you see that oh, all the time. Yeah, right? Like guys like Brian remember Brian right. dunsing it was amazing and then terrible. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it, right. that there's a list of that that's long as your arm of guys who yeah. relief pitchers who put it all together for one year and are great and then everybody's like, "Oh, this guy's good." And then just something happens in the winter and they show up in the spring and they're like, oh, shit, I can't I can't find it." And they never find it.
0: Right. Not now Meriwether, on the other hand, I think the opposite. Like that guy, I used to watch him pitch for Toronto and be like, "Well, how the fuck is this guy not like great?" Because he just has the stuff. So that guy, I actually do believe they may have like stumbled upon something.
1: But don't worry, we he uh, could in a couple of weeks. Brad Boxberger could be
0: back. Oh boy,
1: <laughs> that'll yeah. that'll save it. So that the last thing I want to talk about yeah. real quick is the um, you know, there is no forty man. September rosters but there is a 28 man September roster. And only one of you can only carry 14 pitchers. So the Cubs have 13 like every team does. So it, on September 1st they can add a pitcher and they can add a position player and you can still shuttle guys back and forth but um and I was laughing, not really laughing. I was thinking I just don't think they're going to do this. The whole idea that well they're going to bring Pete Crow Armstrong up to be like this little Swiss Army mm-hmm. knife. Because I was like, they're just going to bring Miles Masturbone back because, you know, they, he can cover the outfield in a pinch. And if, you know, Dansby and Nico run into each other, he can play shortstop for the rest of the game. Um, but then they did the thing I didn't think they'd ever do, which was they told Tucker Barnhart to go away and they brought Masturbone up. And now all of a sudden they don't need they only have two catchers and they might they can bring anybody up to be that position player. Is your best guess, do you think we're going to see the debut of Pete Crow Armstrong on September 1st?
0: Yeah, I really do. I feel like um, – I think Carter Hawkins has kind of, like, let that cat out of the bag, like, a couple times. And I just feel like it, it does make sense, you know. And I think that um, – I think we'll also see either Jordan Wicks or um, uh, Little, the other – the other lefty that they have yeah. in the system, little, uh, either isn't? one of those guys, the six foot eight yeah, inch guy, right. named little. Yeah, I think either one of those guys is going to make either you know uh, an impact on the bullpen or the rotation the rest of the way. And I think I think they I think they should use it because yeah, these games matter right now, and those guys can help you win games and uh, use them however you however you can. I mean, I don't trust Ross to use them in the right way, but. At the same time, yeah, fuck it, man, throw him in there, and de- you know, PDA definitely looks like he's ready, you know. So, hell yeah, I, I definitely think I think we will, and I, and I think they should.
1: So he's got a couple. There's a couple of considerations with him. Number one, um, talking about that 40-man roster crunch. He doesn't have to go on at this offseason. So there's people like, oh, they don't want to use up his rookie, whatever. He, there's no way, he, even mm-hmm. if he came up today and played every day, he wouldn't be able to play enough to not be a rookie next year. Don't worry about that. Um, and obviously, if you're going for a playoff spot, you're not worried about one spot on the 40-man, especially for a player you think is like your center fielder of the future. You just When he's ready, you get him. Um, but to me, a more important thing is before they call him up, he's got to figure out. Uh, something to put on the back of his uniform that fits. Oh. Because I aesthetically, I cannot watch a guy whose name is a circle around his number. And Crow Armstrong <laughs> is just way too long. And I, if I, I were him, I would tell them I want PCA on my nameplate. I would just Ooh. completely lean into that and be like, no, just use my initials. My name doesn't fit. The Incarnatio Strand for the Reds, when he, the first, his first game with the Reds, his whole name was on his jersey, and it looked ridiculous. And game two, he just had Encarnacion. He, poor Strand, got, you know, got the boot. It's like, I don't know if you remember that from The Office, Jan, her real name, or or, when the show started, was Jan Levinson Gould. And uh, she walked in one day, and she she had a meeting, and um, Michael introduced her, and so this is Jan Levinson Gould. She goes, "Oh, it's just Jan Levinson." And he's like, "Ooh, what happened to Gould? What happened to Gould?" And I just, I, I just, I could picture somebody having to go, "What happened to Armstrong? What happened to Armstrong? You're just crow now."
0: Yeah, I don't think, uh, I don't think that would look good. And I, um, yeah, not only am I a big like uniform like aesthetic person, but I'm also uh, a little touched with OCD. So that would both of those things would bother me. I just. Yeah, I couldn't handle it. I, I really hope he does be, something different.
1: I think it would be uncomfortable because those are sewn-on letters, and your entire back—it's <laughs> like he's basically—it's like he's wearing a, a Sons of Anarchy cut. Basically, there's just patches <laughs> all over his back. I'd be like, all right, I can't—you know, Pete's Pete's 0 for his first 14 because every time he goes to swing, like the A's on his back stick together, and it hinders his movement. <laughs> so I'm gonna have a talk with him. I'm going to go down and talk to my buddy, Alex Cohen. We're, be- we're best friends on Twitter. And I'm going to talk to him. Oh. And I'm going to get an audience with um, with Pete. And I'm going to basically lay this out and say, buddy, I know you love your mom and your dad, but you got to pick. Which one do you love more? Because that's the one going on the back of your jersey. But that's why I'd go with the initials.
0: They oh, let the PCA, Ichiro yeah.
1: put Ichiro on the back. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they'll let him do the PCA, but... That's a thought.
1: Or just go without. Which you know, uh,
0: wait, which you know, a hall which of number favors? are the Cubs going to pick for him? Good, I'm sorry.
1: I was going to say, you know, the Hall of Famers you can you can pick to not have a logo on your hat. Pete, no, oh, yeah. name, no name on the back. The one Cub doesn't <laughs> have a name on the back of his jersey. Um, that's a good no. question, right? And he's because in the minors he's had wore a different number. He wore five. The Cubs have a five.
0: Well, you know, the Cubs always used to try to like pick a number to make the player like somebody, you know, that they envisioned him to be. Like, Kerry Wood got 34 for Nolan Ryan. And uh, I, I've just, I always felt that way. Like, Pryor got 22 because of what was it? Seaver. Or who am I thinking of? Was it Seaver? No, wait. Was it Seaver I was thinking of? I don't remember. Somebody. Uh, uh, like or was Buster? it? I don't do, remember. Oh, no. It, well, Ridge. No, I was somebody else I was thinking of that maybe it wasn't Pryor, but. Um, as, so, you know, I think they gave. So does this back Did to, they give oosh. Gray seventeen? Keith Hernandez? Yeah, I don't know, maybe. But I always just felt like they gave you know they gave like Corey Patterson twenty because of Lou Brock. I just I just always had that in my brain that they're like, oh okay, they're getting kind of cute with the number like that. So so yeah. said twenty one. I mean, did he wear twenty one with the White Sox? He's twenty five, I think, with the White Sox. Okay, I was going to say I thought twenty one. Maybe he wanted it for that Clemente or they Clemente, did that, right? That's
1: what he wore Yeah.
0: So yeah, I just didn't know who they well. Peekor Armstrong will, I mean, I haven't seen him play that much, but, yeah, there's been a lot of Lenny Dykstra. Um,
1: they already gave away.
0: Comparison, so, yeah. They
1: gave nine to, to Jamer, so he won't be able to wear that for Damon Buford. Gary Matthews yeah. Jr. was 19. The Cubs have a 19. Oh, that's Aiden. I don't know, all the good ones are taken. <laughs> if they're going to yeah. have him try to emulate great Cub center fielders of the past, He's going to have to go back to either hack wilson or before there were numbers so i think pete gets off easy he gets to pick whatever he wants um, yeah pitching wise um, smiley is penciled in for sunday but jordan wicks was a healthy scratch for his start in iowa
0: yes so the intrigue that is encouraging. Was, i don't
1: know how, i don't know how you can do that again like just you need a lefty in the bullpen no. smiley was fine and the bolt, but put him back there, and mm-hmm. somebody yep. else has to make those starts. You can't give up seven runs in three and a third, and you know these are winnable games you're handing away because you're just too stubborn to try something else. All right. Well, I know you uh, you have a podcast to record after this one. You're doing a, you're doing double duty. Yeah. So. Um, yep. Thanks it's for coming been, uh, on. It's, it's always, it's a, it's always a pleasure. No. So the uh, the beers Thank and you. beat guys podcast, a podcast that I am occasionally a guest on. I guess you guys can find out. Yeah, right. no, you're
0: Andy's a regular guest. And I actually probably am going to ask you to come back on soon. So Yeah, yeah I, I asked, asked you to that. be
1: on this podcast, and you were like, damn it, I was just about to ask you to be on mine. Yeah. So it's my turn. I got to have you this time.
0: Um, I'm honored. Thank you.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Tom.
0: Thanks, Matt. Many of us have herpes.